Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Why does making friends as an adult feel so What hard? should I wear on a first date? What the date? hell is a foreign But that Why hookup was not good. So what do I want my life to look like in five years? We, we want, want to know too. Since 2012, the Every Girl has been an online destination to help women around the world achieve the life of their dreams. Now, we're excited to bring you the same inspiring content with the Every Girl Podcast. Welcome back to the show. Let's get right into the Ask the Ever Girl today. Emma, what's the question of the week? The question of the week is, my 2024 resolution is to be more organized and productive. Any tips for how you make to-do lists? Ooh, okay, I like it. Side note, I am fascinated by other people's resolutions and like their intentions for the year. I've loved asking our guests their intentions. I think it's so fun. So all our listeners, DM us at the Evergirl podcast because I just want to hear. We can also help with your resolutions. And what a good one to be more organized and productive. Like we could all use that. Yeah. First of all, obsessed. I could probably use yeah. help in this department as well when it comes to the organization and productivity. I've kind of, you know, I'm not an innately an organized person, but I have had to in order to get everything done. I have some tips that hopefully will be helpful. First thing I like to do to build a to-do list, I keep a running list on the notes app of my phone to brain dump. When it comes to creating a to-do list, a brain dump is essential because you have to release that cognitive load. Otherwise, you just have all these thoughts in your head. Like, you know, those things that'll be like, oh, shoot, I have to run to the store to grab that before dinner. Shoot, I forgot to send this to Emma tomorrow. All Mm -hmm. things will pop in your head. And that can cause obviously more stress overall. Like you have no idea how much those little thoughts are weighing on you. Hold on. I told Joey not to move around the apartment and I hear him moving. Do you hear him? No. Okay. You just sneak that in. What was I saying? Oh, yes. So that brain dump is so essential because when you're putting things on paper, it's kind of like telling your mind you can release the thought. So your mind doesn't have to hold on to all of these things. Is that like the definition of mental load? Because I see mental load and have heard people talk about it and I really still don't understand what it means. I see it. Mental load are like all the things that feels like there's no immediate solution. So that could be like oh, shoot, I I forgot I have to do this thing. I don't want to forget tomorrow. Or it can obviously be a problem with your family, a problem with your health, something that was like, there's no immediate solution. It's more just like the added stress of things piling up. Like generally anxious about? Yeah, I think that it's, you know, that feeling where you're like, oh, shoot, I can't forget this. Or the worry you only have so much space. Like we've talked about mental real estate before. You only have so much space. You do not have a limited amount of storage in your brain. So that's why these little things, like I have to get a present for my mom next month, or I have to 
go grocery shopping this week for this, or like I forgot to get Emma the social calendar for next week or whatever it is. Those little thoughts when I'm going to bed at night and like, shoot, forgot to do that. I have to do that tomorrow. Like all these little things pile up and that can cause severe stress because you Mm -hmm. constantly are feeling like I have to be remembering things. So that's why when you put them on paper or what I like to do is have it in my phone, put it in your notes real quick. It's almost like your brain is then saying, okay, I don't need to hold on to this because I know I don't need to be remembering it. I can go back to my notes app and look at it. Okay. That makes sense. Then I sort the tasks. So sometimes it'll be like every single morning if I have a lot going on. Sometimes it'll be like once a week, but I sort those tasks so that I can go through them and organize. And I feel like this is different depending on people's needs and what their tasks look like. But you could either sort them by importance, you know, like this has to be done today. This is super urgent versus like this could be done in a week and it's fine. You could sort by different work tasks versus personal. I don't typically do that because I like to see every area of my life as being equal. So I kind of like not having work-life separation, which I know is very controversial. But then you could also sort it by the time it takes to complete. So a lot of those things that are like less than five minutes versus you need a few hours. Sometimes this is helpful for me to sort through this way because if I'm like, okay, I have five more minutes, then I can go to that list and be like, great, I can answer this email. I can open mail. Last time I was going through so much mail that I have physical to open. mail, you know, things like that. Physical wow. mail. Can you believe? Bonkers. <laughs> Most of it being like bills and things that are sad. Yeah, that's why you don't but... look at physical mail. And what I said. Send more Thank letters. You. I feel like I would be more motivated to open a bill that I'm receiving mm-hmm. in physical mail. If there was like a cute letter I was receiving in my mailbox. We should all be sending more letters. Otherwise, mail is always just this like sad place that I, Joey will get so on me because he's like, you have all these bills. Do you know that you like can't just like not open them and go away? Like you have to open your mail. And I was like, but it's so sad. And you're also like getting an email probably about your bills. So The physical sending is really not even necessary, but then it sits there. That's what I think is I'm like, most of my bills are taken care of. These are just, I don't know, like random shit. I just don't need this negativity, which (laughs) like, but you're an adult, so (laughs) mail happens. Yeah. So anyway, I digress. Mail goes into the five minute category. So the next step, I typically don't do more than three to six things per day, depending on how long things take me. So typically about like three longer things and three quicker things. Because I do not want to overwhelm myself. I do want to look at this long list that I'm like, when will I ever get this done? I'm so stressed out. I don't even want to do this. I think that sometimes when we have this like long to-do list, we almost psych ourselves out. And then that's when procrastination happens. You just blew my mind. Three to six. I don't think I've ever had less than like eight. Well, I should specify that this is different intentions. Like, okay, I have to edit this episode today. I have to record this intro. Those things don't count in my list because those are the things I'm doing every single week. It's like things that are out of the norm. For example, we're putting together these guides for our freelance writers. So I have to write that. So that's part of my list of three to six things I'm tackling. Got but it. the things that I'm doing every single day routinely and every single week, I don't include. That's Were you like, when do you work, Josie? <laughs> if you're only doing three to six things. <laughs> I was like, we work pretty closely. I feel like you might more than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I say that because I I think that when we just have this running list and we're looking at that every day of like, what am I going to check off? 
that's when it feels so overwhelming that people want to procrastinate. So from that list to extract just a few things is a really important to streamline because also rest is productive. So you should also have time in your schedule for rest. You shouldn't always be checking things off a list. The next step that I do is I put my to-do list into my calendar. Is this getting like super micro detailed? <laughs> no, I love Remember it. Remember when I was like, I'm not good organization. And then I have like my 10-step routine for <laughs> making a to-do list. So I put everything into my calendar and I love to time block. If you guys haven't heard of time blocking, I'm sure most of you have yeah. at this point, but it is basically putting like activities together so that your flow and your energy is more pinpointed and you're not feeling like you're constantly multitasking going back and forth. This has been especially important for me, feeling like I'm wearing so many different hats. Time blocking has completely transformed my productivity in the way that I'm able to get things done. So for example, as you know, I like to schedule interviews on the same day if we can, because then I'm in interview mode, my makeup's done, I'm ready to go. I like to do editing all at once. I like to schedule client sessions or events on the same day. So I'm in more of a social mode. And then I have like creative days where I'm brainstorming. I'm maybe writing, editing, creating outlines, things like that. So batching everything so that I feel like I could be managing energy better. So how this relates to my to-do list is that I look at my to-do list and then schedule it into the calendar in time blocks. So if I have you know, three outlines I have to write, I will write them all together at once, you know, so it's just being intentional about how those to-do lists fit into my calendar. And then the last little tip I'll say that I feel like is important that a lot of people miss when it comes to making a to-do list is asking why for each goal. And I know that sounds very like meta and wellness editor-y of me, but I do feel like there are so many things that we are doing on a day-to-day basis that we are not realizing isn't important. If you're doing spreadsheets every day that aren't really helping you get towards your goal, that's an opportunity to be like, why am I doing the spreadsheets? I guess just because I never really stopped to question that they're not doing anything, right? Like there are so many more effective ways to be getting what we need. So I think it allows you to really question where am I wasting my time? And then the last reason I like to do this is because it connects to your motivation, it's really helpful for me to connect back to my bigger goal. So for example, even those little things of deep clean my bathroom because it's nasty. If I just see that on my to-do list, I'm like, damn it, I don't want to clean my bathroom. So I have to ask myself why. And the why is, of course, I know how healthy it is for me to live in an environment where I feel clean, where I feel happy to be here. Like this is for my well-being. So it stops Mm -hmm. being, this is something I have to do and instead becomes part of the bigger picture. So if I start feeling like, I really am putting off this one thing, I don't want to do it. I just don't love bringing that energy into anything I do. So I remind myself why I'm doing it. And I feel like it just completely transforms the energy, which therefore shifts my productivity. I, I think that's important. You should never be just doing tasks to do them. I really adjusted my relationship with time. We're in this hustle culture where we put busyness on a pedestal. Like we like brand mm-hmm. out how we're busy, right? It's like, oh, I'm so stressed out. I'm so busy. As if that means we're successful because we're busy. But success doesn't mean busier. I think it means working less with better output. Productivity is about the output. It's not about the time you're investing. I 
have had people who I've been close to in the past who, this was when we were in school, they would be like, oh, I counted the hours I spent today working. Being in class would be included in that, doing homework and then doing their job. And they would be like, I want to meet this number of hours every day. And I was like, my God, that relationship with time is so unhealthy. You should not be measuring your own success and productivity based on hours spent. Yes, literally. That's such a cultural thing where we're programmed to be like, the more time you spend, the more money you'll make. Yeah. And I think that's not true. I was at a time in my life a few years ago where I felt like I was constantly working. I was doing a lot. And to me, I'm like, well, that's what I have to do to be successful. I have to put in a lot of work. And now I'm working less. I'm mm-hmm. like my output is a thousand times better than it ever was because I look at how can I bring my energy? Can I readjust how I schedule my time, what I put in my calendar, how I prioritize my off time so that my energy output is better? And that has been a game changer. Yeah, 100% agreed. How do you put together your to-do list? I don't do the brain dump thing, but I actually might start. I feel like that's a new thing about adulthood that I'm adjusting to. Like I am now 100%. Every ball needs to be rolling. It's time. Grown up hours. (laughs) But when it comes to my to-do list, I've had a fairly similar system for the past several years that really works for me. And I do categorize my tasks according to categories of my life. Like the life pie thing, which I've written a whole article about that sort of like manifestation method, or even in like concentric circles, like career, personal life, physical and mental wellness, financial habits, all of those in separate bubbles. And the reason why I categorize it is because sometimes I'll do this really cute, fun thing where I just don't think about anything besides work for like three months. (laughs) Then sort of like at the end of those three months, I get out of it and I'm discombobulated, have neglected important aspects of my well-being. So I like to categorize my to-do list in all of those different areas so that I don't just do work and nothing else. And then when I'm writing a to-do list for a single day, I will color code according to what category a certain task is under so that I can tell really easily from a visual standpoint, if in a single day I am overloading in a certain area. Like career in my planner is green and Monday through Friday, lots of green in my planner. But then Saturday, Sunday, if I have a lot of green in my planner, something's up. I think if you are the type of person who can tend to check out of certain areas of your life from time to time, I do recommend going by category. But that's interesting that you don't. Well, I totally get how that's really, really helpful to know, okay, I need something in every category. I need to make sure if there's too much green, I got to bring in some pink. So I think that that's a really good tip. When I first started using this system, I did it in the day designer page. And so I could put these things in my calendar at the same time as the to-do list and see them side by side. I do the same thing in my Google calendar now, where it's like I have a meeting with myself to go work out for an hour. I need to keep this appointment almost. That's so important to do that, to view your time with yourself just as important as you would view a meeting with your boss. So I'm glad that you feel that way. 
I used to very much sort in like, this is work, this is mental health, physical health. But then I started to feel like I noticed myself being like, I'm not going to do these other things if work things aren't checked off. So I started feeling like because I was separating it, then that made it easier for me to deprioritize the other things, actually, Ah. which now the way I view everything, I've again, I have done a lot of work to mentally shift so that I see my work life is equal to having a good life as my physical health, as my relationships they all are the same. And I know a lot of people prefer to have work-life balance and like to have that separation. But I instead kind of like this idea that my life is my work and my work is my life. Like I work out to be better at work and I work to be happier rather than all of these things opposing each other, if that makes sense. Yeah. So seeing everything as this consistent layer, it's kind of like going on a whole side tangent. I have this problem with the word free time because what that's telling yourself when you say, oh, how am I going to spend my free time? That means that work, maybe chores, maybe a workout even, like maybe whatever things that you don't count as your free time, those are all the priority. And then all of your off time where you should be spending joy is like the, that's like the free time. That's what happens when all the other stuff is done. I don't have free time. I have time where I'm on meetings. I have times where I'm at interviews. I have times where I'm in client sessions. I have times when I'm working out. I have times when I'm on my couch watching Bravo. There's no such thing as free time. When I'm sitting on a couch reading a book, that's just as equally important to me as showing up to a meeting. I think your perspective on how these things are all interwoven is because, again, I'm coming at this from a transition phase. I see myself getting to where you are. Once I have been in my career for a little bit. When I was in, in your phase, it was so different. I can't look like that enough. Like I've had a, a long journey. It depends on people's relationships with their jobs and to an extent what you do. But I think it's healthy no matter who you are to work in that direction of seeing it all as overlapping in some way. Yeah, because I think it changes the playing field where it's not like, oh, I'll get to a workout as long as I finish these tasks for work. It's like, my workout makes me show up better. So again, going back to that output versus time. So the workout that I do tonight is going to make me more productive tomorrow so that I can have better output in my job. When it comes to productivity, when it comes to to-do lists, everybody has a different system that works for them. And Mm -hmm. it depends so much on your job. It depends on how your brain works. And so it should always be different for everybody. I don't think anyone should do my system or your system, right. if it's not going to work for them. Find what works for you. But I do feel like there's a way we could view our lives as this holistic being that they're meant yeah. to be. We're just here to live a happy life. And mm. everything can work together to get us there. Wellnessify it. I just wellnessified <laughs> the shit out of that question. <laughs> All right. Anything else on this topic before we dive into the episode? Any final thoughts? I've said this on the podcast before, and some people might not like this, but when I am writing my to-do list, I do like to intentionally overdo my to-do list, like write too many things. That is so funny how different we are. So that I can practice, A, not beating myself up for not checking something off, and then practicing adding that one extra thing that I almost know I won't be able to get done helps me just be kinder to myself. If I don't check it off, I know exactly what I can start my list with the next day. If I do check it off, I feel like the best person in the world. 
I love that we both have very different processes, but that's just like what our brain it serves understand. the same function. Yeah, it serves the same function. And I'm glad that there was two of us to offer this perspective because yeah. the last thing I would want anyone listening to think is like, okay, that is the right way to be productive. So let me copy Josie's routine. That's yeah. not the point here. There are so many ways to work with yourself and with the way that you think rather than struggling against it. And it's just like setting yourself up with the tools and the system that help you feel really good and productive. 100% agree. Beautiful. Beautiful. All right. Let's dive into the episode today. I have been so excited to share this with you guys. We can finally announce the Every Girl's Guide to Building Wealth, sponsored by Bank of America. You know that we are all about smashing glass ceiling, doing whatever we can to close the gender pay gap, and encouraging women to feel in control and empowered by their money. So we've put together this very exciting boot camp to provide you with tons of tools to feel more in control of your money and work toward building wealth, no matter your income or what's in your bank account. That, the only thing that's coming to my mind right now is Gwen Stefani. If I was a rich girl, I feel like that's like yeah. a theme song. Because let's all agree that 2024 is the year that we finally stop feeling like we're not good at money. So every month, we'll have a bonus episode about different money topics, ranging from making a spending plan to investing to questions that you're too afraid to ask, with site posts on theeverygirl.com. So be sure to follow us on social media and subscribe to the Evergirls newsletter for more tips to build your wealth and make all the right money moves in 2024. Today's episode is with Holly O'Neill, the president of retail banking for Bank of America, aka she is a badass. And we are diving into all things financial wellness. You can expect a wide range of topics, such as getting over limiting beliefs that are holding you back from making more money to why money is like physical health. She gives some really great advice that money is meant to be spent. So whether that's on tickets for Taylor Swift's Eras Tour or a daily cup of coffee, it's about the intention behind the purchase. And I asked for her opinion about this historically sexist advice to just not buy the latte or not buy the pair of shoes. And She has some really great response to that. So consider this like your money therapy session to help you identify and rewrite limiting beliefs so that you... No matter who you are, what you make, or what debt you have, can start working towards your richest life. Please welcome Holly O'Neill to the Every Girl Podcast. Holly, welcome to the Every Girl Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Well, thank you for having me, Josie. Nice to be here. What does financial wellness actually mean? I like to break financial wellness into three parts. First, it's the ability to just meet your everyday financial needs, just manage your daily needs. Second is making progress towards both short and long-term goals. And last but not least, it's being prepared for what you don't expect. And along with that, it's also about being able to enjoy your life, getting that extra shot of espresso when you need it. And like both emotional and physical wellness, Everyone's path to financial wellness is unique. So every person has their own obligations, goals, and priorities. Everyone has a unique combination. Financial wellness for a recent college grad starting their first job is definitely different than for somebody who's a few years from retirement. We help clients define what that financial wellness looks like for them so that they can chart their own path to achieve that goal. I like that there's different layers to it because I think that's when 
people kind of turn off their brain to financial wellness is when it seems like something that's so unattainable to them. Like it's for people that are at a way different bracket, a way different situation. So I love that you right. define it in different tiers. Why do you think that financial wellness is important? Which might seem like a silly question, but I know so many people whose uh, mind frame around finances is just to deal with them, right? It's like, just do what you got to do and not worry about anything else. So why is going beyond just dealing with finances and actually cultivating financial wellness? Why is it so important? It's really important because creating a holistic approach to financial wellness can build peace of mind and reduce everyday stress, right? So instead of just putting it off, we schedule checkups for doctors and therapists for physical and mental health. We've got to do the same for finances. And I think that puts your mind at ease. You have to update your budget. You have to check your credit score, assess emergency savings, ensure your goals are on track. So maintaining that financial wellness will help you achieve your goals, whether it's buying tickets to Taylor Swift Eras Tour or the Renaissance Tour with Beyonce or paying off your student loans or saving for your dream house. It will put you at ease if you have a plan and you know what's ahead and you think about that and plan for it. I'm the wellness editor at The Every Girl, so I talk about stress and mental health all day long. And so I think it's really interesting because the way that I view physical health is very much like the purpose, the end goal is to feel really happy. It sounds like financial I... wellness. The end goal is to feel really good in your life and feeling in a good place with your finances is the tool to do that. That's I, right. I love that definition. I think that's so important. What are some of those common mindsets or limiting beliefs that you see holding people back, especially women, when it comes to living their most financially healthy life possible? First and foremost, it's lack of confidence, limited access to education. Bank of America recently did a survey and we found that only 48% of women are confident about their finances. Wow. It's a big number, right? It's almost half. And a top financial regret for women is not educating themselves around money. We all have to understand we don't have to be embarrassed if we don't have all the financial knowledge we need right now. I'm in banking. I don't have all the knowledge I need. I'm always learning. I'm always evolving. The environment's always changing. So we have to remember that you're capable. It's important to take the time to educate yourself, to be inquisitive, to ask the questions. And there are a ton of free resources to do that online. A couple notes, though. Make sure the sources are reputable. Don't believe everything you see on Instagram. Better Money Habits is a free financial education platform that we have at Bank of America with resources to help you take control of your finances. Always ask questions and reach out for help. Talk to your friends, talk to your peers and colleagues or professional. And I've been really impressed, actually, by Gen Zs and their willingness to have an honest and open conversation about their finances. So I think we could take a page from their book. Life is a marathon, not a sprint. You can't run a marathon only after a week of training. It takes a long time. And the same goes for financial health. Build positive routines like budgeting, tracking your spending and savings, and you'll ultimately achieve your goals. So use education and set some goals for yourself. That's really interesting that you see Gen Z being more open with their finances. 
Why is that? Like, are they more vocal about their challenges, seeking education? What do you see them doing differently that you wish everyone would do? I think they are more open to receiving information. They're all in social media. They absorb a lot of information. I think that lends lends to being more open to the dialogue than, you know, some of the other old timers like myself. <laughs> They're used to having that two-way dialogue in social forums and public forums. So that lends itself to being more open to the dialogue. That totally makes sense. You're more receptive to learning more things in general. And That's part right. Of that has to do with your finances. Totally. I've talked about my journey with money before on this podcast. And I, for the longest time, for most of my life, have been like, I'm a creative. You know, I don't know anything about money. I filled my college schedule with classes about creative writing and religion. I didn't fill my schedule right. with even one personal finance course. So I right. always had this identity that I'm not the person who's good with money. I'm not going to make a lot of money. And then it was recently as an adult that I was like, why? Money is something that we all have. I've kind of gone through a lot of my own journey, redefining some of those limiting beliefs that I have. And I think a lot of women feel that same way. A lot of women have been told, you're not good at money. You're that identity, right? And so we think there's a lot of women right now, a lot of our listeners going through this experience where they're having to rewrite a lot of these narratives that they've told themselves about money. A big one that you mentioned earlier that I want to ask you more about is that idea that you had mentioned being able to get yourself an espresso when you want an espresso. I think right. that's such a huge advice that women hear is, well, don't buy the latte. Don't buy an extra pair of shoes. Can you talk a little bit more about this financial advice that women receive a lot? And do you think that it's rooted in this sexist, misogynistic lens, or is it actually helpful advice to limit buying the latte? Well, I think as with everything, it's a balance. People have to have the confidence that they can learn and manage their money. Just because you're not a numbers person doesn't mean you're not good at managing your money. You don't have to educate yourself in finance the same way that I do. I work in finance. I'm going to have a much deeper understanding and look at it differently. But for everyone, you're going to learn it in your own way. And there are a ton of tools, as I mentioned earlier, to go do that in very simple ways. And I think you've got to pay attention to the way you feel about financial topics and then surround yourself with the information to help you do that. As you think through how you feel about money, you've got to ask yourself some questions, right? Does thinking about student loans make you tense up? Does investing sound overwhelming? Once you've identified where you need to go, you've got to build a plan to address that. Take the time to reevaluate your loan payment plan for student loans if you need to do that. Look up the online resources for investing or reach out to somebody for help. Taking on those negative feelings on different topics is really hard. You've got to reward yourself for working through it, right? Cook your favorite meal, watch your favorite movie. Get the treat, the latte, if you want to. And you don't have to do it all and you don't have to do it alone. As it relates to the latte or the coffee, sometimes you do have to treat yourself. And the way I separate it personally is, okay, is this a treat or is this becoming a habit that I can't afford? A one-time latte or a one-time treat here and there is just that. But when you do it, um, every day or two or three times a day, that becomes a habit and that needs to then become part of your budget. So 
those are some different ways to balance how you work through those issues. That's such a good tip because something that I struggle with, I want to be able to enjoy my life, right? And not go crazy and do all this mindless spending. But I want to be able to go to a coffee shop where I want to go out to dinner and not feel guilty about it. And so I think knowing, is this a habit or is this an intentional decision is a really helpful way to decipher and including that then in the budget, if it's like, oh, this is something I want to do every day or even like three times a week, I want to get a coffee. Then you put that in the budget. But if it's a one-off like special day, you could do that and not feel guilty about it. That's right. That's exactly right. What tips do you have for our listeners to heal their negative or limiting mindsets about money beyond education? Often the limiting mindsets come from a place of fear, right? People are afraid. They don't understand the financial issues. They think it's complex and confusing. And that can hold you back from reaching your own goals. So I would say reframe it, learn about money. That will help you then feel confident and make you feel like you're in control. Embrace the learning mindset. Get a little smarter every day. You don't have to do it all at once. Achieving and then maintaining that financial wellness is a journey, right? And as we started this podcast, it has a whole bunch of different flavors. Everyone is going to have different chapters in that financial journey, whether they're just starting out and trying to get a budget or they're trying to save for a home or they're trying to accumulate wealth so that they can retire or they're nearing financial retirement. Everyone has an evolution and their profile around financial health will often change. Do you see those limiting beliefs come out for women of all income levels? And I'm I'm curious because I think it's so easy for a lot of people, myself included, to be like, if I made, you know, $500,000 a year, I would not have any worries about money. I would not have these limiting beliefs. We have this idea of like, if then, you know, I would erase a lot of these beliefs if the money were there. But I'm curious if for anybody at any phase, these limiting beliefs come up. I think they do. The limiting beliefs are probably more pervasive earlier in your journey around financial health until you get on a track. But every time you pivot into a a new stage, you've got to learn something new. So you step back into, I don't know about this, and I've got to learn about something. I've got to learn about investing. What does it mean to save for retirement? How much do I need to save? It certainly probably happens more at the beginning stages, but at every little pivot and every change of your life, you've got to just embrace it. How do I need to change? My mindset's changing. My position is changing. There is not an end stop here. It is an evolution and it's a journey that everyone's on and they're going to define what their own definition of success is. I know I keep going back to comparing financial wellness to physical health wellness as well. Right. And I always say that physical health is a lifelong journey. There is no destination that you reach where you're like, oh, I'm healthy. I achieved it. I'm done. It's a journey that you are on every single day of your life. And I feel like financial wellness sounds like it's the exact same thing where you're never going to get to a place where you're like, great, I can wash my hands. I'm done. That's right. I don't worry about it. It's a tool that you're using to live your best life. And so with that, you have to be practicing financial wellness every single day. There's no end goal that you achieve. You can be working on goals and getting to certain places, but the practice of being financially well is something that you'll always work on. That is spot on. And I don't know about anyone else, but I don't particularly love going to the doctor for my physical (laughs) every year. 
sure. but I make myself do it. And financial wellness is the same. Really evaluate where you are. Did you meet your goals? Did you not? Do you need to adjust something? It is the same. So you're spot on in that it's something that we have to constantly practice. Then if we do that well, going in with the facts and knowing that you have the confidence in what your situation is, I do think support your mental health and your physical health because it takes some of the stress out of it. Absolutely. It's going back to like the purpose of this is to not feel stressed. To not only That's like right. eradicate the stress around money from your life, but also maybe be able to use your money to ease your stress in other ways. Like money is such an important tool. I keep saying this, that like money is the way that we live our best lives. And it's like, duh, more money, the easier life is. Like so many people have that idea. But also it's just the tool that we get to travel to the places we That's want, right. that we get the healthcare that we want. It's a tool to live out whatever dreams that we have. And so being financially well. And I really want to stress this point because I, I feel like I'm talking to my past self where again, I was like, oh, I don't need to worry about money. So I'm talking to my past self here, but I know so many women have the experience of feeling like I'm overwhelmed by personal finance. It's not my thing. So I'm not going to worry about it. I'm just going to collect my check and spend money and hope for the best. And right, I don't want to accept that. And I don't want our listeners to accept that. I want you yeah. to know, everyone listening, that your duty is to be the expert of your own finances. I think that's right. I look at money as not the end goal. It's an enabler to what you want to do Ooh. with your life. It's an enabler to taking a vacation or saving for the house or making sure you have enough money for the latte every morning when you go to work, right? It's not the end goal, but it, it does enable what you need to do. And I think when you have the confidence and you have a plan that then feeds into enabling, you know, setting a path for what you define as your happy life. I've had so much stress and I kind of still do have a lot of stress. I know a lot of people experience this where it's like saving is the goal, right? So anytime you're not saving, you're going to buy the coffee. There is a little bit of guilt of like, well, I should have saved this $5. Right. But what you're saying is the goal is not just to save it. You obviously have to save some in order to spend it. The goal with money is to use it. It's not to have it sitting somewhere, right? Right. And I, I think people don't get too hard on yourselves either. It's a journey and you're always improving. And that's the way I look at it. Savings is important because unexpected things come up and you have to have a little nest egg. But you're not going to get that overnight. You need to put yourself on the path of that. If you get off course because you need a latte one morning, that's okay. And don't beat yourself up over it. But you've got to balance that with the reality of where you want to go long term. Savings is important, but financial wellness is the enabler to what you ultimately want to do in life. And it's a balance of a lot of different things. If you're a weekly listener of the Every Girl podcast, you know that working through mental blocks around finances was a huge goal of mine in 2023. I was so over feeling bad about money and ready to take control of my personal finances. That is why I am so excited that we're working with Bank of America to bring you high quality advice with tools to manage your money and crush your financial goals. Bank of America is the perfect partner on our mission to empower women on their financial journeys. For me, educating myself and improving my relationship with money has been totally life-changing. 
Bank of America has a financial education platform called Better Money Habits, which is full of tons of free resources and videos for anyone looking to improve their financial health. From budgeting tips to investment strategies, they offer resources and tools to help women feel confident and knowledgeable about their finances. Bank of America is also committed to providing thorough, personalized support to help its customers gain the knowledge they need to make empowered financial decisions. Whether you're saving for your dream home, starting your own business, paying off debt, or planning for your future, Bank of America is here to help you reach those milestones. If you're looking for a financial partner that understands your aspirations, check out Bank of America today. So let's dive into some of those more like tangible tricks and tips that I know you have so many good ones for. So many people, as we said, are overwhelmed by financial planning and they just avoid it. Can you share some tips to break it down or simplify it so the concept of personal finance is less overwhelming for our listeners? We look at financial health in a whole host of different categories. Understanding what you need to operate your daily budget is step number one. So understanding what your expenses are, what you want to do, and setting a budget for yourself. And, and you don't need a spreadsheet. You can do it on a piece of paper, but think through what are the daily things, the monthly things that I have to get. So get a budget that shows where you're going. Make sure you understand what your net income is, what you're saving minus what you're spending gives you your net income. So that's a really easy formula. What you bring in, what you earn, minus what you spend equals your net income. Very simple. Track your spending. Make sure you know where your fixed expenses are, like rent, utilities, those things that you have to have. Groceries, a little bit of entertainment always is fun. And you have to have that for your mental health. You can also look at your variable expenses. Those are the opportunities to cut back if you feel like you need to cut back. And then that creates a spending plan. So set realistic limits. You might need to adjust when you're still working towards your goals, but you've got to review it regularly to make sure you remain on track. So budgeting will make financial planning much less overwhelming and put you in a position to better manage your money. I like that you call it a spending plan. I feel like that makes it way more fun than budget, which makes it seem like everything should be saved. So spending I like that. is like, yeah, how you're intentionally spending. Your intentions on spending. See, we're making finance more fun already. That's I right. love it. That's right. <laughs> a problem that I've had with that in the past is like, okay, it's easy to figure out the fixed expenses. We know what our rent's going to be. We know utilities. We know internet, phone bill, all those things. But then how do things like going out to dinner on a regular basis or clothing that I want to purchase or a trip coming up, how do those things fit in? I want you to get micro, get detailed, get specific. How do you set up or recommend that people set up a spending plan so that it can include things that they necessarily don't plan for, like a purse that they really want to buy or going out to dinner at night? Like, is there a way to set that up in your spending plan? You can do it a host of different ways. You have a category for variable options, items that are luxuries to you. If that's going out to eat, if that's buying the bag, if that's going on a vacation. And think about what in your budget can you put towards those variable and optional items. Looking at it one month at a time for those items, I think can be a little challenging because some months you might be up, some months you might be down, but maybe look at it over a three month period and say, okay, every month I have an optional 
$200 to spend on going out to eat or buying a bag or taking a weekend trip, I would probably put it in one bucket in terms of how do I want to spend my discretionary money? I never separated it into clothing, restaurant, vacation, and that discreetly because it floated in between those categories for me. Sometimes in the summer months, I mean, you live in LA, so it's always summer there. Um, (laughs) But in the summer months, some people may travel more. So they may not be purchasing the bag over the summer, but they're spending their money on a vacation in the month of July. So I think looking at one category as your discretionary spending and thinking about it over a longer time period than just one week. Think about it over a month, two months, or three months, and that will give you some flexibility as to when and how to spend it. And that probably gives you a lot of insight into what you're spending on without even realizing it by looking That's at right. three months rather than just one month or one week. That's right. And and a lot of the tools that we have, so our mobile app has a spending and budgeting tool. You can look to see what your historic spend is on restaurants, on clothing, on vacation. If you use those tools, you can look to say, okay, over the last six months, what have I spent? And then use that to inform what you want to do go forward and be more intentional about that based on what you've learned. I know people experience that feeling of, I don't want to look at what I've spent because I know it's not going to be good. (laughs) But I think even if you're intentionally not looking at your finances and you're like blinders on, ignorance is bliss, there's still that stress there where you're feeling out of control with your finances. Even if you're telling yourself that you're not thinking about it, there's still that stress. So again, what your point is, Holly, about the purpose of financial wellness being to eradicate that stress and use money That's as right. a tool. I think it's so important for people to address, but then also there might be a lot of ways that you're mindlessly spending. If you're mindlessly like, oh, sure, I'm out, so I'll just get a coffee. Right. Maybe that isn't the way you'd want to spend that money and you'd rather be saving for a vacation. But if you are like, this is a really intentional decision and I love my Starbucks and I love the morning ritual of going to the Starbucks and getting the coffee. That's an important difference. What's the intention behind the money you're spending? So looking at your finances and and what you've spent it on, I think that gives you so much power because you get to decide, is this an intentional part of my best life? That's right. Or is it mindless that I can be better using this money in a different way? Yeah, that's right. So in this case, knowledge is definitely power. Even if in the short term that knowledge is painful, it's very powerful for you because I do think that helps your intention on a go forward basis. And I'm like everyone else looking to see what I spend at restaurants or the coffee shop. But knowledge is power because if I think I've spent $400 over the last month getting a coffee, That is a very important piece of information for me if I'm looking to save for a vacation to say, you know what, maybe I'm going to make my coffee before I leave the house next month and I'm going to save $400. That is, to me, very powerful and really can give you a tool. You can choose to do it or you can say, you know what, that is incredibly important to me. That coffee on my way to work is happiness. And For many people it is, and I am right there with you, but it does give you a decision point and helps you, I think, with the intention. It gives you the power to make that decision for yourself. That's right. 
I know at Bank of America, you empower clients with five financial health pillars, and I love these. So I would love for you to walk us through these five different pillars. The first one being simplify your finances. So tell me about this. What does this mean? This is foundational. Make it easy for yourself from checking and savings, rent, mortgage, utilities, investments. Managing finances can be really overwhelming. So it's really important for you to make a spending plan that incorporates all aspects of your financial health. Just simplify it. Really understand what you have. Don't make it complicated for yourself. Oh, the se- the, yeah, the second step is just managing your money. We've been talking a lot about that. So use the digital tools that are available to you to help set goals, track spending, make your financial security even tighter. A couple of examples that we have, Erica, which is our virtual financial assistant that sits on our mobile app. We also have Life Plan, which helps you set long and short-term goals. So that's really important that you leverage those tools. In addition to the digital stuff, you can also leverage experts, people who you trust, like doctors for your physical health, looking for advice on financial topics. You should feel comfortable that leveraging these financial experts for that financial advice is available to you because it is. And don't be afraid to use it. Next is just building the knowledge. We've talked a lot about that and it's really important. It can make you feel confident, more informed about your decisions. And then last but not least is getting the help when you need it. So the smartest people I know in any aspect of life are those who recognize that they need help and then ask for it. Don't be afraid to ask for help, whether it's getting laid off from a job or suffering a medical emergency, unexpected financial issues can definitely take you off track. We have tens of thousands of specialists, just to use Bank of America as an example, available to work with our clients. Can you share some examples of what that means? Because I don't, I wouldn't even know. Is it, like you said, I just got laid off. I'm not sure how to yeah. manage this chunk that I have. How do I use my emergency fund in this situation? Or is it like, where do I start investing? Can they ask any question about their finances? Or is it about certain topics? It can be about any one of those topics. Just as an example, we have about 3,900 financial centers across the country available to most of the population in the U.S. You could walk in there if you got laid off from a job and you were overwhelmed with how to manage through it and talk with a specialist about using life plan as an example. Whether you're a client or a prospect, use that expertise that's available. And it's available free of charge, by the way. Another example is I want to buy my first house and I think I want to do that in the next couple of years. What do I need to know? For most people, that's the biggest purchase we make in our lifetime. And so sitting across the table from somebody who can tell you, you should plan for a down payment of X. Here are some of the solutions that you'll get. Here's how the process looks. There are a whole variety of topics that you could walk into a financial center and talk to an expert about. And you could also get it out of better money habits, by the way, but some people are more comfortable talking face-to-face and being able to ask questions right then and there. I think people, myself included, we think of financial advisors are these people from millionaires, right? Like you don't think that there's people in the world who can go to and ask your questions for free that can help you with your finances wherever you are. 
I'll give you one more example. If you're thinking of starting an investment account, you can walk into a financial center or talk to a Merrill Edge financial advisor to talk about how do I open this account? How do I use it? What's available to me digitally? This is not just reserved for the wealthy or people who are more mature in their financial lives. This is meant for people who are just starting out, who are just starting an investment account, who are buying their first homes. That is one of the reasons we think having live specialists available to our clients is so important. Are there any other financial rituals that you do that can contribute to improved financial wellness? I love automatic savings tools. They do work and they can help build your emergency fund or your retirement fund. I use as do my kids keep the change, which basically every time you use your debit card, it rounds the price of every purchase up to the next highest dollar and transitions that money into a savings account. You honestly don't even know the money is gone. And then suddenly you look in your savings account and you've started to accumulate a little bit of savings in there. It is a great way to start out. And I don't think there's anyone, no matter where they are in their financial journey, that doesn't like to look in a savings account that's accumulating savings without really even any exercise in your part. So instead of $3.50 for the coffee, it's $4 and the 50 cents goes into your savings account. And, And there are a whole variety of automatic savings mechanisms. But I think That's one of the ways that I think it's really helpful to just start to build that emergency fund or nest egg. That is genius. I think that's genius for anybody, but especially for people who are like, I can't start a savings account. I'm just trying to pay off debt to start so small and that it's so easy. I'm going to get that right away. I'm (laughs) signing up. (laughs) That's great. What are some financial resolutions that you can recommend listeners set for 2024? I'm going to use a recent piece of data from a survey. 81% of the people said they had already set financial resolutions for 2024. So some might say I'm late to the game, but there's still 19% of you who have not set financial resolutions. There is still time to do it. Financial wellness is unique to everyone. So everyone's goal is going to be specific. And my advice is to make sure that your goals are in fact specific to you. So instead of saving more this year, take 10% of my paycheck towards my savings account. Instead of start investing this year, invest $400 a month in your Roth IRA. So that way it's a little more actionable and you can actually reach your goals and track your progress throughout the year. Get a little more specific about what you mean and something that's achievable. So we've talked a lot about spending, budgeting, setting goals. Don't start so big that you set yourself up for failure. Start out with something you think you can achieve, and then you're going to feel really confident when you've achieved it. And that momentum will grow on itself. My financial resolution for 2024 was to start investing, period. And so now I'm like, oh, I love it. I need to get more specific, though. So it's helpful. $100 a month, $10 a month, whatever you think you can achieve. Because then the resolution becomes a plan rather than just this far out idea. Okay, Holly, we are going to wrap up with just a couple really fun Rapid fire questions. Since we're dispelling the idea that women should stop spending money on coffee, what is your coffee order? My coffee order is a hazelnut coffee black. 
And I like hazelnut too. You do? Yes, that's oh, my favorite yes. flavor. I so love good. that, Josie. I don't find many hazelnut drinkers. And my husband always jokes that whenever we go to a new city, I am in search of the hazelnut coffee. Wow. I'm sure that you've hit a lot of hazelnut spots. Yes, I have. <laughs> I, I I do have a list, which I'll share with you later. <laughs> oh God, I need it. Send it to me, please. <laughs> okay, next question. If you had one piece of advice to give your 22-year-old self, it could be financial or otherwise, what advice would you give? Educate yourself and be confident. It's really two in there. But mm -hmm. the confidence is key. And have confidence that you can do it. It is, you know, definitely achievable. And everything we've talked about in this podcast, I think, will help drive that confidence level. Absolutely. And then last question for you, Holly. What is a favorite book, a book that's changed your life? And again, it can be financial or otherwise. Well, I have to go with the book I just finished, which is Lessons in Chemistry. It's about a female chemist who goes through many life changes. And there's a lot in that book about confidence and drive for women, especially having that confidence that you can break barriers no matter where you are. I've heard great things about the book. So now I'm going to add. Oh, it's a must read. Holly, thank you so much. I feel so much more confident. I feel better at money already just from talking to you. So thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Josie. Great to be here with you. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I know I sure did. If this episode gave you any value or you're liking the show in general, please do not forget to rate, review, and subscribe. It really makes a huge difference for our show so we can keep growing and bringing the content that you love. If you want more info, you can find us at The Every Girl Podcast on Instagram or theeverygirlpodcast.com. Talk to you next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 